0: The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon Kane. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Collective Whisper podcast. I hope you're well and everything's going good for you. And you're looking forward to Christmas, which isn't very far away. And we have an exciting guest for you this evening. But before we get to our guest, I'd just like to ask you and remind you, please, if you could follow us or subscribe and you know, give us your, some love, please. Thank you very much. You'll find it on our web page and on our Facebook page as well. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's move on to our guest this week. This week, our guest is Mr. Dara O'Dee. Irish songwriter Dara O'D. from Chum is known for his wistful storytelling creating nostalgic nuggets of joy and despair. His music conveys the mood and elements of his surroundings and is delivered in an honest and alluring manner. Released on the 29th of the 10th, 2021, the debut album, Tilly and the Postmaster, has been described as a love letter to Ireland, all its madness and beauty. Opening with a spoken word prelude from his grandfather and named after his grandparents, the record is full of colourful and engaging indie folk storytelling including singles Split the Difference, La Resistance, the story of two childhood friends who struggle to hold on to the friendship as they become adults due to different political influences on their lives, Guerrilla Warfare in Your Back Garden, which features Birmingham singer Catherine Priddy, a song about fighting over land and inheritance, and title track Tilly and the Postmaster, a song touching on death during a pandemic and not being able to attend the funeral of your loved ones, written about his grandparents through the eyes of his grandmother. The album tracks have gone on to receive airplay on both BBC Radio Scotland, BBC Radio Wales and be playlisted on RT Radio 1. Okay, welcome to the show, Dara O'Dea. How are you, Dara?
1: I'm great, Simon. How are you? Good. It's great to have you on. Uh, Thanks for having me. How's life?
0: My life is good at the moment now, busy, but I think you're a bit busier. You're you're doing a few shows and your album's coming out, so you're happy about that? Yeah,
1: album's out tomorrow and a couple of... Gigs lined up as well. Um celebrating it with a launch in Wheelands in Dublin um on the twenty eighth of November and then doing a gig in Shamtown of Toome on the uh eighteenth of December.
0: And and for the people who are listening, whereabouts are you at the moment? Are you in Tume or are you somewhere
1: else? I'm in Tume, yeah. Funnily enough. Um but well, I live in Thume on the square. Um with my girlfriend but her parents are actually over visiting from Canada at the moment so they had a, a trip to Belfast and kind of the last couple of days and they came back today so they're kind of tired so they're in the apartment uh relaxing so i'm actually back over in popped over to my parents' house which isn't too far away and i'm actually in my old bedroom and it's right it doesn't, it's not a bedroom anymore it's kind of an office now for my mother but um I, I I would have wrote my first songs here, actually. To be honest. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is this is like a, a trip back in time, for and for many different reasons. Yeah. And uh, but that's good. Yeah. And it's probably funny being in that room because probably it was covered in posters and every kind of younger young man's stuff, you know.
1: Yeah. I definitely have bits and pieces around the place. Yeah. I definitely remember like, um. Yeah. And my first CDs and my my little CD player and all that in here, you know, and. Ireland guitar in here as well yeah um, brilliant brilliant
0: brilliant and uh how is tune at the moment like it when you walk out your door in the evening now is it is there much going on is it kind of getting back to normal yeah
1: it's busy yeah 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 it feels like it's back to normal I mean I'm on the square so I see everything that's going on um and it's busy weekends are busy yeah, it feels like um it's definitely uh, coming back to itself Yeah, it's a good a bit of hustle and bustle about the place Like, and I suppose last weekend was the first weekend With pubs and that During COVID and the whole,
0: you know, the whole process of lockdown Did you take that time to kind of say I'm going to work on material, I'm going to work on the album Or, you know, did you Like, did you find it difficult during lockdown?
1: Yeah, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't I think it's like I managed to get an album done Because the boys I started to work with Were, were definitely freed up a lot more So it was like um those that we became in went into a little bubble i suppose which with kind of towards to finish off the album with uh dylan Conley and evan barrows at the end of it mixing it and that kind of thing um and we kind of were meeting up a couple of times a week um because everyone was free and had time um but yeah, with, with, I, I work as well and stuff, so it's like I was able to work from home. And inevitable,
0: when you're stuck in the house, you'll do all those negative things, you know, like you'll drink too much, eat too much. But when you can knock out an album during that time, that's not bad going. It kind of
1: uh, redeems yourself a little bit, no? Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. Because <laughs> it, it, it definitely would have taken another year, I think, um, if the world was <laughs> moving normally. And... You know, I have to tell any
0: listeners who know us, because anybody who knows us will say, oh, them two lads probably know each other. But for anybody who doesn't, some people in America, Australia, whoever's listening, uh, me and Dara know each other from Tume. I used to live in Tume for a long time, and I met Dara years ago through music and teaching guitar and Dara playing guitar and the bands around Tume. And, you know, some of Dara's bandmates played with me in one or two groups, and you know, even names you mentioned there, Dylan Connolly, where there's there's a big connection there. There's like a a circle, isn't there?
1: Yeah, you definitely taught half the lads around you guitar like and a
0: bit. So some longer than others, but the, I had a, 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 some lads through the door for a short while and some longer. You know.
1: Yeah. So who did I play with that you thought then? You definitely like Richie was definitely going with the, going to you for uh, for Bay. he. Had, with
0: bass. Yeah. Richie, yeah, uh, Rich, Richie was, ba- Richie and his sister, Richie and his sister came to me for bass lessons and, uh, and I played with Rory in No Alibi for a long time. And Dylan, Dil- Dil- Dylan Connolly was coming to me for a few years as well. So when he was much younger, much younger. And,
1: uh, Rory was playing drums with No Alibi, wasn't he? That's
0: right. That's right. Rory was the drummer. So it's mad, like when you, you see those connections, but I think it's great, you know, when, when I look and I see people like Dylan and, you know, they've become really good guitar players and you see them doing great work in, in the media and in recording and producing, I mean, it's brilliant. And, and I, I, get, I get a sense of pride because you're like, that's brilliant, because it's nice to, see, to look back then and to see how lads have come on. And even yourself, you know, um, I remember, I think when you started playing guitar, I, don't, I think you thought you'd never do it. I, I think you thought you'd never be able to do it, you know, because some people fall into it more naturally than others. And some people just find themselves later on that they, they don't, you know what I mean. They they find it through another way, and even when it comes to like teaching guitar, some fellas would come, or girls, and they might only have one or two lessons, but then they go, but then they discover it themselves. You know, I taught myself, and I think I had two strings on the guitar for a year. Just going up and down playing notes and you have to find your own way and you know and it's great to see yourself and the other lads around Tune doing really well it's good
1: yeah yeah you have to yeah I remember I remember start, starting off like I was probably 18 really by the time I was trying to learn like and figure it out and Rory was a brilliant brilliant player like and he showed me the first few cards, and he was like come on we'll do a few gigs like and I was like, do a few gigs me and he's like yeah yeah just play along to the songs you know like and um, um yeah he, he definitely encouraged me to do that right away but it was like for ages after that like when i knew i knew i wasn't competent at all like and i was like I, I needed to prove myself you know that was a big thing for me i think after starting playing it was like right what do you want to do i want to be, i was like i want to be a, a songwriter So I want to let's make the the songs I write be the best they possibly can, you know, and just really work on that. And I suppose the guitar playing came along with that then a small bit like, you know.
0: The great thing about it is for a lot of people, if they want to play guitar and sing Oasis or Blur or U2 or whatever, it's kind of a that's the goal, maybe to sing those songs. But if you're writing songs, it's a bigger goal because the thing is, you have these melodies inside you and you're like, I need a vehicle to get them out, so whether it's a piano or a guitar or, you know, a, a bower you need something. And the guitar and piano fall into that melodic kind of sphere where you're like, oh, right, I can play E minor and G all night long and still write a song. So it's great. And as your songs progress then and change, the melodies change, you learn more as well. So I think for anybody who's a singer-songwriter, that whole process of singer-songwriting, or s- songwriting, we'll say, really teaches you the guitar as
1: well. Yeah, with my songs anyway, to date, I've always like, well, since I've been doing solo stuff, it's kind of the guitar follows the the story and the lyric and the way I want to convey that emotion. Like, I'm always thinking about how I'm putting it out there vocally first, you know, um, and then I try and figure out what the guitar is supposed to do. Uh, yeah it's, it's kind of about the connection i suppose with the song and uh, singing it as true as truly and honestly as honestly as possible and um then, you know, the, the guitar will catch up, hopefully.
0: Well, I just want to ask you now, obviously, you know, going back a little, when you were young in Toome, you know, growing up in Toome, where did you go to school again? What's, the brothers or, or, or Jarlitz? Secondary school in Jarlitz. And for you growing up in Toome, you know, I know a lot of your songs kind of echo growing up in Tume, Baligati Bridge and, you know, the the songs for the people at Choom and and even Tilly and the Postmaster, obviously, yes. about family. But for you, what's kind of your... Early recollections of tune did you find that it's a town that has
1: evolved and changed a lot? It has definitely evolved and changed a lot um it's quite a multicultural town now, which is class um but I think the core of it hasn't changed a whole pile um and the kinda the thing I love about it hasn't really changed, like the people and the the gs and the humor I suppose and um i suppose uh, coming uh, yeah as a songwriter like there's so many songwriters in the town so it was every definitely, definitely felt like i was kind of welcomed in quickly to that side of things you know um and i don't know nurtured in a way and given a leg up it has a rich
0: history doesn't it because i mean everything like blaze x you know, the the water or the water boys, the, the thought actors and and influences by the Water Boys, obviously. But you know, you have you have so many uh, Park Stevens, uh, what's his name? Uh, Seamus Rutledge. There's so many people around the town that are very creative. And now obviously you have younger people coming up and it's a different era. But there's that legacy and tune of the kind of working man's music. And it's you know, when I do tell people sometimes they say, oh, what, what like, what's, what's the story with Chum? Is it different? Or, and I'd say, well, when I was growing up, I remember people talking about the sugar factory and, you know, all kinds of people working there and it was a thriving place. And, and then obviously it, you know, the sugar factory closed and lots of people lost jobs and, you know, it was kind of during that whole de- depression recession time and things changed for people and for a while then you know chum got a bit of a bad name with fighting and so on and you know it but i think in the last 20 years now it's really kind of come around again and it's evolving into this musical town once again
1: isn't it it is it's a great town <clears throat> i don't think it's that different to any towns of its um uh, that are similar size like but it just has the songwriting thing which is which sets it aside i think from um other towns of the same size around the country like <clears throat> and that's just i think just it's just a generational thing that it's handed down like where you see the generation above you writing their own songs and doing really well and it's very much accepted in the town to do that like and to be proud of that and you know you still get plenty of slagging and, and geez, but there's a lot more people there around you to confide in that are doing the same thing like and will be doing that are doing the same thing with were 20 and they're still doing it in their 70s do you know what i mean
0: the age thing in tune is not a divide really because in some types of music for example where it could be dance or rave or techno or rock whatever i mean sometimes obviously age dictates what kind of music people listen to but in tune there's always that kind of music that's you know, I don't, I don't want to say middle of the road, but it's more easygoing and it's telling stories and everyone can listen to it. So whether it's an 18 year old singing a song or whether it's a 65 year old that everybody knows around the town singing a similar song, there's that kind of uh, circle there where everybody's connected.
1: Yeah, there is definitely. There's something about songwriters in Tune that are very proud of Tume and very proud of place, and are very proud to sing about it. I'm not sure what it is or why. Um, Maybe it is, um, I don't know, yeah, it's Tume, I don't know, it feels like it is. Maybe it's just on the outskirts of the city and maybe it has gotten a bit of flack over the years and it's kind of like, no, Tume's a great town. We're so proud of it. And when you do start to sing sing about it, you sing with great honor, I think, and with great pride.
0: Yeah, of course. And and you know, I suppose now, um, obviously at the moment with with the whole Toom Babies thing, it's gone through a lot of more flack, as you say, and and you know, but that's not the people of Toomb's fault, and that's not the town's fault. That's just the church and the powers that be. And unfortunately, that kind of thing went on in certain towns in Ireland, and Toom was one of them. But I think the people of Toom are kind of strong in that sense and they will bounce back from that and they'll get over that suffering it's a very hard thing to get over for a lot of people but it will also inspire a lot of other people in the way up to write songs meaningful songs too i think
1: yeah i think so with that like it it's part of the town like there's no denying it and it's it's part it's part of the history of the town and you have to carry that with you like you know um it's never, it's never going away. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's part of this place now, and it'll be known for that, recognized for that.
0: So, Dara, for you going back, like when you were a teenager, did you find yourself like doing the normal things, playing football with Jarlits and kind of being pushed in a direction and thinking, oh, I want to go in another direction? What, did you, did, were you rebellious as a teenager or did you kind of go along with things and change
1: radically later on? Definitely from a big sporting family. And I think, yeah, growing up, I was supposed to go that route or that kind. Of, I kind of my my role models were definitely set out. You know, they're they're great footballers in my family. Um, and I played with June Stairs and enjoyed it. And when did when It's all right now. And I, I didn't really play like a little bit in first year, but I'd lost interest and I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And music was kind of was something was happening in me with music that I could feel it in my soul I suppose but I didn't know how to do it yet or didn't know I was allowed to, do you know what I mean I I suppose there was no if there had been a role model or someone there's no one really in the family who was like putting art out or putting music out or anything like that or whoever pursued it really like, so maybe if there was I might have done it a bit younger but um, yeah I think yeah, played football with Stars and all that up to stuck out it till minor, maybe up to twenty under twenty one even. But I was starting to play music at eighteen. Something happened when I think I started probably started drinking and that. And you're like, right, I can do whatever I want now. And you're like, you've you've a bit of um a bit of confidence and um yeah, let's let's do my own thing and try and just be who who I want to be, you know, and try and figure that out and go down that path for a while and see what happens.
0: Yeah, because. The thing is, obviously, for some people, you know, with the left brain and the right brain, that's kind of used a lot. People say, oh, there's more creative people and there's more there's other people that fit into the sport and kind of slot and that category. But I think you can do them all and you can try them all. You know, I, I always remember when I was younger and I do I used to do karate and tune there in, in the in the the old um, the tune stars place, the old hall behind the courthouse. And um, I remember Fellas, in because I was living in Carrefin, I remember all the old fellas saying to me, "Oh, are, are you not playing football?" And I said, "No, no, I, I do karate." And they're like, "What's that?" You know. So it's hard sometimes in Ireland to be different to do something different, you know, because everyone kind of goes, "Oh, sure, sure. Why wouldn't you play football?" And you're like, "Yeah, but well, I, I have a niche for this. I want to do something different." And and I think that can be the way with music too. You know, I always believe in in Ireland, especially, you know, people love it when someone succeeds with music, but as you get older and you're doing music, people are kind of looking at you like, are you still at the music and stuff? And you don't know if, are they asking in a negative way or a positive way? So you have to find your own path, don't you?
1: Big time. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's part of Irish culture, which is great. You know, the whole, like with, yeah, with football and with traditions that are carried on, um, that need to be carried on. But, but when you're going to do something uh different, I suppose, and, our generations as well. Anyway, it's like you have to be brave and you have to, to stick your neck out. And if you're if you fancy being a bit fancy and artistic and that, like you know what I mean, you have to um yeah you have to just uh brave and be ready to take a few digs. Like um yeah, part of growing up, I suppose you know makes you stronger. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's part of growing up. I mean, these are things we have to go through. And like I said, you know, society is like that. You know, people people kind of give you a hard time if they're not if you're if they're looking at you and you're not sure what you're doing they're kind of like what are you doing you know do why don't you do this and but then when you discover yourself people are rallying around you going oh fair play to you I always believe in you're like oh, I'm not sure but I'll take it
1: <laughs> yeah I think I think at that stage kind of finding your own your own tribe is is the thing and once you find that you you've your own crew around you and your sound like you know and you've that's, that's 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 important in life as well and a great part of it like is when you find your own crew like and um you don't really feel I don't know, the judgment or the glare is coming from anyone else because you're doing your own thing you're happy like and that's definitely something that happened lucky enough to find in tune you know but there was a few of us around the same time especially with the ralphs we became best friends with through music like and still play together with the raccoons when everyone, whenever anyone's around, like, you know. Um, I think the last time I saw you was probably at a raccoons gig in, in, in the Brogue. We were, I
0: think so. It was Christmas a two, few years ago.
1: Christmas a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah. Two
0: or three years ago. I I haven't been home now in nearly two years, so it probably was two, three years ago. I can't remember now, but I remember that gig, actually. It was a good gig and a nice crowd in there, and
1: upstairs in the Brogue, wasn't it? That's <laughs> right, yeah. Um, they're great. We just do we do them. I don't know every now and again, just when whoever's around, like, and see what happens and whatever songs we remember from over the years. But yeah, you know, I remember Connor Conor Half. He's living in Dubai at the moment, but he was home playing that gig and i just remember he's a brilliant guitar player like
0: yeah connor's great connor connor that's that's the one i forgot connor was coming to me for ages was he connor was connor was there as well because when you were mentioning the names i was like there's someone there i can't remember from that crew yeah
2: yeah, yeah. (laughs) i
0: couldn't remember but it was connor yeah and actually connor is is on the podcast in a few weeks you know we 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 hooked up there a few months ago and did an interview. Um, yeah, brilliant! But but yeah, Connor's great. Connor's a great musician, you know. And 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 uh, and that, that's what I mean. I think you said it there that there was there was that kind of connection between you guys, you know, between the the, the Ralphs and and Connor and yourself and Richie and all of that and and Rory. There was just that great kind of connection at that time, and there, you were able to form those different bands from it and it was able to turn into something great
1: wasn't it yeah it was yeah 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 um what I was saying there i just remember connor from that night now so he might be he might be wigging this but i just he just had a killer guitar sound he always did but he's always lead guitar and i remember him playing rhythm guitar that night and it was just driving it like and it was dirty as fake, like you know um, I think he was going for the real Mike Scott buzz, you know.
0: Yeah, but that's great. I mean, yeah, that's that's re- that's really good. And those are great. It's great when we can look back and remember nights like those, great gigs and stuff. Steady. Well, let's talk. I want to talk actually about family for a minute. So just tell us about your family, because obviously, you know, when we talk about the new album, it's a, a big part of it is family. So when when you're looking at, you know, Chum and you know I I remember the the post office there and the the ODs being a big name around Chum obviously with football and with the post office um but family for you obviously is very important in Chum and um you know there's a, there's a big connection with the with you and and the rest of the family there isn't there
1: There is yeah I mean yeah family is so important um and with the album Yes, the, the title, yeah, I it was all, the title was already, it was always going to be the title. A couple of years ago, I, it's something that just twigged me, Tilly and the Postmaster, because my grandmother is Tilly and my grandfather, Neil, was the Postmaster in Tume and he ended up moving from, from Tipperary and the whole clan are from Tipperary. Like really, dad was 16 when he moved up uh, to Tume um, and there was 13 kids in total Um some born in tune, but um, most in Um And then, just as I was working on the album, you know, um, pandemic hit and lost both of them um, yeah. during that time. So then, you know, all of a sudden the, the title of the album uh, was heightened and became even more important, you know, and special. Um. But yeah, I suppose... Yeah, there was a point towards the end of their lives. And I was like, I just wanted to be around and I wanted to know more about their lives. And I'd recorded my grandfather a couple of years ago um telling his stories and uh, just where he's from and where his mother was from and where his grandmother and grandfather were from just for generations after me can know exactly where they were from and what they did and what lives they lived. That's nice.
0: I mean to get that to have it for posterity, and you know, and, and the great thing about recording anybody like that. I, I even think about it. I always think like with with these podcasts, you know, it'll be great in twenty years that if someone can say, "Oh, geez, my dad was on a podcast." I remember someone talking about it. If their father's not here or their mother's not here, I mean, it's great when we can preserve those things. And look back on them and say, oh, there was an interview with my grandfather or my uncle or whatever. And nowadays, obviously, with modern technology, it's a bit easier. But like you said, you have those tapes of your grandfather and the, you'll always have them. I mean, <laughs> if you look after them, but you'll always have them. And and that's that's a great thing to have, isn't
1: it? Yeah, we have them there on um, for all the family, just on a private YouTube link, you know, so you can just tap into them. So. As long as YouTube doesn't go anywhere, <laughs> in the next hundred years, <laughs>
0: it'll be around. Yeah, and a question I want to ask you about actually: when, when the your grandfather retired, and, and they they were they were living in the house beside it. Yes.
1: Yeah, the house next door to it. Which, yeah.
0: Yeah. So so they stayed there, didn't they? They stayed in that house, or did they move out of the house then?
1: No, they stayed in that house. Yeah, they stayed in that house, um, right up until the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always there.
0: Wow. Yeah, because that was an, uh, obviously there when you're on Circular Road or whatever, and you you go to the post office and your grandparents' house was right beside it. It was a, it was an important part of Tomb. Like it was a historical thing there. And um, I remember, you know, going to Jerry Lardner's to get your hair cut, and you know, you pass by those buildings all the time. And and then later on going into the door into the post office to get your doll, or whatever, you know what I mean? So all those things are etched in your memory and um it's, you know, they're strong memories, aren't they? And and I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of the post office, they think of your grandfather and the ODs, don't they?
1: Yeah, I think definitely it is still a very important part of the community, the post office, but um definitely over the years, everybody and every nearly everything was done through the post office. So, Everyone knew the house, you know, and it's a gorgeous house, gorgeous red brick house. It's like, a lovely you know? house. And I had um Jimmy Morn, actually, Jimmy Morn, he's, he's Leo's son, and he's doing Jimmy bricks where he makes, like, houses out of Lego. Do you know if you've seen oh, them? Other, wow. Oh, wow. He's, am- he's an amazing talent for it. But um, I got him to make the house, and I gave it to gra- or to, to Dad, actually, a couple of Christmas, or last Christmas, like it was, but... um. Yeah, you did an amazing job. So we've with the, with the house, you know, in, in Lego form <laughs> forever. Like, yeah, yeah, it's awful cool.
0: That's really nice to have, isn't it? You know, that's really cool. When you, you know, when, when you were a teenager then and you started kind of when you were planning on leaving school and stuff, what kind of jobs, what was your first job?
1: What did you do? Jobs, yeah. During school, I worked in, I was in Cosmo in the supermarket, stacking shelves. Then I moved over to Super Value. And did the same thing there, but got got the upgrade, which is kind of a downgrade, down into the uh into the basement. So when you're Oh in, really? But I love the basement because you'd be tucked away in there, do you know what I mean? You'd be hidden, you don't have to there's no one asking you where whatever the nappies are, <laughs> whatever you're, yeah, you're down yeah. there, the loads coming in and you're stacking it away. Um I went to college then. Uh went to Sligo for a couple of years and did business studies and they weren't let me back for the final year but my mother found a way to get me into into castle Bear to finish it out she was she she was adamant she was like you you're not leaving and you know i did it to, to make her proud and uh, but i'm glad i did because i did a few things since then that um i went teaching abroad like you did yourself and i wouldn't have been able to do it without having the degree and um had a couple of great years abroad and and that as well you know so i'm glad i did it um but yeah i think leaving school I was I didn't know what I was doing I went to college for a while and I was wondering I was starting to play music and I was a bit of a piss artist for a while knock around the place and yeah definitely when I finished college then I was like I want to write songs at whatever it was 21 22 and be like I want to form a band somehow and ended up forming the the Koenig's then when we were about I suppose it would have been 23 like that was my first proper band with. At um, the lads, you know, Rory.
0: Before, like obviously, you mentioned there you were travelling, and I think you were in Asia and a few different places around there. But did you bring a guitar with you? And were you playing music while you were there? Were you were you evolving your songwriting while you were there?
1: I picked up a guitar out there, right? And um yeah, I was I was writing, all right. When I was, this is this is kind of later, like because I did we did the band and we did a great run with the band and it was after the kind of bands ended like with um, the Kunics we were in first and then we changed the name to Strange Boats and after that I thought it was kind of, that was it like you know and I was like okay I never travelled because it was we were, we were trying trying hard to do something with the music and um, put the songwriting on, on hold for a while I think I didn't write a song for about two years after that Strange Boats album but once I went out I went to Asia, went to Australia and then ended up back in Thailand teaching English and got a guitar there and um songs started to started to come again, you know.
0: The great thing about obviously travelling, it opens your mind up because like you said there, you from what you saw before you were looking at tune from the inside, but then when you go outside and you're in other countries and you're looking back and you know, the kind of like looking with Google earth or something, you, you have a different perspective, don't you? And it changes your songs a little bit.
1: Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah, I think you see that with a lot of, a lot of songwriters as well. They, they move around and go to different places or like never really understood the, um, idea of like you know somebody goes a songwriter if you have the the funds or the capability to go away to somewhere on or to write for a couple of months or something like that um but i think after writing while i was traveling that i kind of i understand the benefit of it now
0: yeah yeah so going back to that time that the kunix that was like 2012 2013 wasn't it around that time did you know what the band i think we did our our first practice around summer two thousand eight. You started before, but I'm talking more of the album release. You had a you had an album release. Was it tw- was it that, or am I wrong? Time entirely.
1: No, we had just, the Koenigs were together. We in two thousand eight we started we started doing a bit of practice, and then I think we might have done a gig that summer two thousand nine. There was an EP, and then two thousand and ten, we went on on tour with the Saw Doctors in the UK. Then, um. And then we came back from that and we changed the name to Strange Boats and the album came out around 2013 then, I think.
0: When you became Strange Boats and, you know, you released the the album, it was was it a time that you thought, OK, this could go somewhere or did you find that it, like you needed more money for promotion and it was hard to do?
1: Uh, I thought, yeah, I enjoyed the process of changing band names and that it was like, right, we can do whatever we want. And I don't know, maybe we beefed up the music of it and made it a bit harder, but I didn't, as things were going, we were releasing singles and things like that. And yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going anywhere, if you know what I mean. It was kind of like, but we were like four lads who had started doing it five years ago or something. And we were adamant that we were releasing an album of original music, you know? So we like, we, we stuck it out, like, you know, and it was like grinding away and chipping in for recording and, We were hopeful that something might happen, you know, that um, there might be enough interest in it to tour and, you know, be, you know, working musicians. But, um, yeah, I think once it it was out, we were a bit exhausted, maybe. And it was like, yeah, best to leave that now (laughs) where it is,
0: you know. But obviously, when you you toured with the Saw Doctors, that was before the name change, I think, um, when you toured with the Saw Doctors, Did you think, oh, this could be a really good thing for us now? It might give us a bit of traction. You know, was it hard coming back after that tour and then kind of going, oh, we have to start all over again or whatever? Was that
1: difficult? I think at the time when we went touring with with them, um, I didn't really think about it. Like the band wasn't, was barely together, um, weren't even together two years. And we are still figuring out this whole being in a band thing and being on stage and playing guitar and so it was just a whirlwind. Like I could just um, didn't really think about it at all we're just enjoying it enjoying the experience of it and didn't we knew yeah there was people on the tour and that they were into us and were following us around and the, you know they were showing up to the like the Sadducks have amazing fans like people that go oh, to like, when, you, when you go to those gigs like the people that go to you know they'll go to six or seven gigs on the tour like um which is amazing like that that's their that's their outlet like and they probably wait for wait for this to come around every year like and they'll follow them around to whatever dates are fairly close to their hometown but those people arriving that were coming to those and they were arriving up front for our gig with the Koenig's t-shirts on and that kind of thing so you could get a bit of a vibe of it that you know it was we might have been growing or picking up a few fans along the way but um yeah we were kind of in our own worlds at the same time whereas we were worrying more so about writing the songs and playing the gigs and having the crack i think we weren't looking at the business side too much at that point it's difficult
0: isn't it because obviously if you get a great opportunity like that to go with a band like the thought doctors and do some great tours it's difficult sometimes to come back and say what next like where do we go now because you it for some bands it might be too early you know maybe two years later they might be able to do that and then continue and expand on it but for other bands they might say oh geez it was a fabulous opportunity but we didn't have enough songs written and we couldn't continue it so it's different for every band but sometimes i see with bands like that playing support slots and they get a a shot and you know they can do really well but then you have to keep the momentum going and that's really difficult
1: yeah definitely I think um, for me personally, it definitely kept the momentum going. I think I got a taste of that like so early on, and those gorgeous venues and like the great steam on the road, and like playing original music, your own songs to people and making a connection with people pretty early on that it's uh it's still in me, you know that i'm still I'm still craving that, and I'm still trying to work towards that, like you know, and I think the last Since I started doing the solo thing um, four years ago, I suppose at this stage, um, I'm I'm working back to trying to get back and do a tour, you know, and uh, yeah, be be a working musician, doing original music in some way, you know. It's um, I'll be forever writing songs, and I'm never going to stop or putting stuff out, but it'll be I'm working towards. been able to make it my main gig at some point, I suppose. And
0: it is possible. I mean, music is a very hard industry now because, you know, if you're a small artist, you have to pay the bills still. And, you know, like everybody else. But you have to kind of rely on those tours and those small tours and gigs because, you know, there's very little money to be made from record sales and streaming and all of that. So you have to have another income in as regards, like, you know, touring, merchandise, whatever it is. So it is really difficult and it's only getting more difficult as time goes on because of TikTok and all of these things. So, you know, obviously, I think the pandemic shone a light on that because people couldn't play and people who were like road crews and roadies for bands lost their jobs. And so if you were a big time musician and had money in the bank, you weren't so bad. But for small time musicians, it was pretty difficult, no?
1: definitely yeah and um people that were gigging every weekend they were hit hardest
0: when people say oh you know the cover band scene or the wedding band scene but they were probably hit the hardest because that was their total gigging income that was you know they were full-time musicians and and um they you know suddenly it was just knocked on the head i suppose for original artists they might do a tour in the summer and have a few months off and write songs and you know they're surviving on whatever way they normally survive. But yeah, the wedding band singers and the wedding bands themselves found it difficult, and the DJs.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, anyone that well, majority of people that are doing original music on a smaller scale have another job. Like, and so most were very lucky to have something to fall back fall back on. Like, but yeah, people doing weddings and doing. Um, playing in pubs and events and everything like every weekend would definitely hit hardest and especially when that's what you do like that's what you get up out of bed to do Um, very difficult last year and a half you know.
0: Can I ask you you know just getting into your songwriting then and your style of music and the, the stuff you do I just want to put a question before that when you were you know as a teenager and you started getting into music I know you were playing football and everything but when you first kind of said wow I really am getting into music and I love this kind of tunes. What was it? What was the kind of first band that did it for you or artist?
1: Hmm. Uh, yeah. Jeez, I don't know. I, I I remember other voices being a thing when I was kind of like, I don't know, 16 or 17, the first series of that was on. And you had, um, I always remember Josh Ritter and simple kid and damien dempsey and those lads and there was something about that that i thought those songs i'd like to do something like that or like to write they're writing uh they're making a connection with me here somehow and it doesn't look like or i feel like maybe i could do it you know um and they're still there's still some of my favorite songwriters ever like and um, i think damien dempsey and josh ritter are two up there that are kind of lads with acoustic guitars doing that thing. But um yeah, I know I got into every kind of music after that. But and I think well around tume as well, like there was there was so much going on, like with Nolly MacDonald would be kind of in that vein as well. And he was doing original music and releasing albums and Stone Lakes were doing the same thing. And then you have the Saw Doctors and I think the first proper concert I was at was the Saw Doctors out in Clockinover. Um and I kinda got re- got really into them at one point, which I think most young lads in tune do at some point, because like, 'cause they're especially with the writing about the town that you're from. Um it's kind of unbelievable at, at the start, you're like, Why are there all these why are all these songs about tume and what's the story but really they're all they're just honest kind of they're a bit of divilment, like and not taking themselves too serious and that but i think when you first get into them you take them very serious you know you're like this is this is this is my bible um but there was lots of yeah lots all sorts all sorts i remember getting into dylan as well around the time and just been obsessed like
0: one one artist there obviously you mentioned Damien Dempsey and i find some of your music slightly like that you know because uh, obviously you know Damien Dempsey started out as a kind of spoken word poet and and he he's some of his songs you know have different styles entirely because you know it's like i i, I was telling somebody on the show there recently about Damien Dempsey and how he um when I if I play him in the car, for example, and my kids go, oh, he, he he's singing it really weird. And then he'll you'll put on another song and he's sing, singing very melodic, you know. So sometimes he can have the real brogue. He can be very Irish. And other times he's more melodic, like a I don't want to say like a pop singer, but like a crooner, you know, and he can really change his voice. And, and so he's I, I think he's very diverse like that. And he's very varied in the songwriting. But, you know, when I was listening to your some of your stuff now over the last week or so, you know, I'd heard it before. But when I took a deeper dive, then there's traces of that in your songwriting. You know, you've you have that kind of poetry in there that maybe wants to be a song or, or a song that wants to be poetry. But there's a good mixture there.
1: Yeah, uh, he does. He does that brilliantly. Like he's amazing an artist and he's he's so true to himself and so passionate and he's yeah like you say with different styles and vibes going on with him in different ways of singing it's like he does what he feels in the moment and what uh, and he writes the way he's feeling in that moment and that's why the song's out different ways which is great he's not trying to do the same thing over and over no
0: and that's brave i mean that's hard to do because for a lot of artists you know they'll say oh my style is like the red hot chili peppers and i you know, and, and you kind of do all the songs like that. And and then if someone says, oh, well, let's do a reggae one. If the, the other people in the band are going, I you fucking mad. What's wrong with you? We're not a reggae band. But being a solo artist, you kind of have that bit of freedom as long as you're working, obviously, with with good people who won't you know, stand in your way where you can say, well, I, I fancy doing something different. This is what came out last night. This is the way I wanted to be, you know, and, and that's a great thing.
1: You have to be ready for people to lose people along the way, for people to be really into a particular song or a particular album and but you want to grow and do something different the next time and they're not into it at all and it's not their thing. And, you know, suddenly they've no interests, which is fine, you know, but you yeah, you have to be yeah, willing to like you can't write songs for one partic- particular person who loves a particular thing you do. You just have to write them for yourself self and grow that way, like. Um yeah and be willing to like <laughs> shake off a few along the way because you're doing your own thing like because but well, that's fine like a good
0: example of that was Dylan obviously when he picked up the electric guitar and you know people shot him down and stuff but you know for all the albums Dylan has brought out and other songwriters of his caliber you can't keep doing the same album and and even after even if you do a style for four or five albums maybe you're thinking, I want to do something different. I want to play the electric guitar on this album or I want it to be more percussive. Look at look at Paul Simon. You know, if, if you if if Paul Simon had said probably to the record company, I want to do an, an album with African singers and African musicians, they'd be like, Are you mad? So but yet that was a huge success. So that's the great thing about songwriting is that if you're true to yourself, you'll get your own success by being different whenever you want to be different. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you have to, you have to keep it interesting for yourself is the thing like, and I know we were talking about Dylan there, but even if his, his live shows, he's doing his own thing, you know what I mean? And because he wants to and he's comfortable doing whatever he does with the particular song that night and more power to him. Yeah, he
0: changes it on the fly if he wants. And, and, you know, it's funny when you watch Dylan sometimes, you know, and you see that time when, when Tom Petty's band used to play with him and everything and they, you know, he'd stop the band and he'd say, no, no, that's wrong. Start again. And, and, you know, other bands would be mortified. They be like, you made us look like an idiot and you can't do that. But he's thinking, well, you know, I'm the boss, I'm the captain here. So if I don't like it, we're going to start it again, you know, and that's kind of somebody more or less saying to, the people and the media and the press, look, I do what I want. You know, I. that's why I am where I am, because I'm a free
1: spirit. People are attracted to original artists for that and people that completely do their own thing and are free in their own way. So it's kind of like when they're attracted to that, you don't really owe them anything. It's a tough one. Like it's because people will, they pay they pay for a concert ticket, I suppose, to um, see particular songs like some people would, but at the same time you don't you don't owe them anything, really. Like you, they they love you because you're completely original in what you, you've done. Um, so you're if you go up there and do your own thing, they mightn't get it in that moment, but you know maybe down the line they will.
0: Yeah, and you know you you said something there that kind of echoes with me is the fact you said they they don't own you, and that has become really more evident in the last few years when you look at. Like obviously with streaming platforms, because in the past, you know, people went out and bought albums and and you know sacrificed their pocket money or what their wages for merchandise and things like this. But nowadays, the artist only really really makes money on the tour because I mean, some people will buy the album, but you're a lot of people will listen to it for free on Spotify and stuff. So. Because of that, then they have this thing where the value isn't quite the same for them as if you paid $12.99 for the CD as in the past. So that for me is the sad part now because I remember going into Chivago and buying an album and you didn't have the money for it. And you're like, oh, but I really want to hear it. And you'd pay the money. So you really value that artist at that time. And they were the be all and end all. But nowadays, because you get it all free and the artist has to give everything free, People can kinda of stick around and move on. The true fans are the ones who come to the gigs, obviously.
1: Yeah, I dunno. Times move on and it, it keeps it, it keeps changing and moving on and this whole streaming thing will move on eventually again, but that's where it is at the moment. Um the sales of vinyl and that are definitely on the increase and the likes of Chivago have rakes of vinyl in there and there's loads of people buying them, but obviously, yeah, it's a it's it's gonna be for a younger generation, it's it's it, when it's so accessible, you're going to be, um, streaming it for, whatever half nothing. But it's 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 definitely an older generation that are working on that, that are buying vinyl now again. But it, but it's happening like you know because people want something tangible, I think, and, um, they want something to hold. Or if there's a, a bit of artwork on an album, it it becomes, you know, <laughs> something very special. when you when you own it, yeah, it's kind of like the last few years it's been completely streaming and that, but I see things changing. And I think that's the way the music industry constantly does. It's constantly changing, like, you know, and um streaming will be there forever. Vinyl will be knocked around for another few years. CDs will get your Tapes are on the way back. They'll go out. Vinyl will come back in. Streaming will be, you know, you know what, I mean? what do you make of, you know, the
0: whole NFT thing? Have you looked into that? What's that? Have you, no, you haven't seen the <laughs> NFT. So the NFT. NFTs are... You know, obviously now with all this cryptocurrency and the blockchain and all of that, but NFTs are this new type of um, basically what they are. If you, you bring out an album and you can sell off parts of that album or particular songs for cryptocurrency, but now it's becoming a big thing in America because what can happen is people auction for it so they don't own the rights to the music but they own that particular thing i don't understand it fully myself but i was reading an article about it the other day and they, they think now obviously because of TikTok and how big an influence it is on young people and with music that these nfts are going to become the new way that musicians make money because um they're not really making it from streaming and the record companies are still trying to control it but when you do the NFTs yourself, which is basically like, you know, it's kind of like online merchandise, really. Um, what happens then, the artist has more control. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. It's I don't fully understand it, as I said, but it is on the horizon.
1: Yeah, I can't wrap my noodle around that now either. I don't know what you're on about, but um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, cryptocurrency is, <laughs> is big, big business these days, like so. Well, it,
0: it's the thing about it is, the way to look at it, I suppose, when when people go to your show and, you know, you they can buy the vinyl or the tape or the CD there, that's great. And the merchandise. But now, obviously, because people do so much online shopping and online browsing and listening, they're trying to reinvent the Internet in such a way that, you know, to make money, whether it works out for the artist or not. But, yeah, of course, all these new cryptocurrencies and blockchains and things like this will change it for every type of artist, whether it be like an artist who paints, whether it be a singer, because it'll be new ways of making money. Yeah. Interesting. Confusing, though. Confusing. Yeah. Confusing money. (laughs) Confusing money. Yeah, exactly. You'll you'll never you'll be like, am I earning money? I haven't a clue. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's get on to your songwriting process. So, you know, obviously when you did the Mary Robinson EP and, you know, your new album is out, Tilly and the Postmaster. But how has your songwriting process changed or is it still the same as when you
1: first started writing? I don't know, really. I think I've always just... um It's always been phrases and things that I just come into my head when I'm out walking around the place and I'd write down in my phone or um ideas for songs, but would always just start with a phrase or a line or... And the opening line will come to me and I know exactly what the song is going to be about, you know. Do you
0: like I do? Do you like murmur into the phone? Because, you know, if you're if you're if you're where somebody can hear you, sometimes I listen back to ideas after songs and it's like, "Hmm," you know, but it's lower volume because maybe you're walking on the street or you're somewhere where you don't want anyone else listening.
1: I would, all right, but only only if it's a lyric. Never if it's a, a melody. I'm trying to capture. It's it's only just always a lyric like that. I'd that I'd speak into. But usually, I just put them into the into the notes. Like, um, yeah, that's generally how it's always been. I never really pick up the guitar with a melody and then try and put lyrics to it. I always am writing the, the words come and, first. Yeah, and I rarely write like try and write down the whole thing as poetry. I'll get the first three lines and I'll pick up the guitar and feel feel the the vibe whatever it's supposed to be and then I'll I'll write I'll write on with that and often what I do is I'd have a couple of songs written around the same same time a couple of phrases around the same time so there might be three of them with different melodies but because they're written around the same time they're interchangeable they're very similar themes and I'd end up at the end where I'm trying to write three songs I'll end up bringing them into one.
0: Yeah, well, that kind of happens, I think, because, you know, sometimes you might write a song and it reminds you of another song you could have written six months before. And you might have the intuition to go, maybe they'll work together, you know, maybe they'll work together. If if it if it happens in and around the same week, you know, you're writing those, as you said, two or three songs and you're like, Okay, maybe maybe that first song is actually the bridge of this song, and maybe that's the verse and so on. That's good. But do you do you get the idea and then like Work on it straight away, or do you put them away for a while and come back to them?
1: I try to be constantly working on them. I'd always have like a couple of songs that are half finished, and I try pick try try pick up the guitar every day. And generally, what I do is without thinking about it too much is just I go through each of them because when they're new like that, you really enjoy playing them. Like, so I'll do the first one and get halfway through it, and. If I'm enjoying it and think something's coming, and I'll go back and do it again, and I I could be on that for an hour. But if I play it the first time and it's, um, I kind of know it's it, tonight's not the night that I'll move on to the next one, like just naturally, like because the next one might be more enjoyable to knock around by here for ten minutes.
0: You know, do you have like a songs that are you know A songs, B songs, C songs, like songs that you think okay, you know that those ones are you know. Th- Good. The other ones are maybes, and the other ones I'll put them away. Do you have songs like that that then maybe later become like the C song uh, becomes the A song? Do you do you have
1: songs like that? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I'm, I'm already, I've already got songs. I'm already I can see the the next album in my head, like you know. And I've I've eight songs like that. I'm like okay, and there's five of them that I'm like, oh, that's definitely going on it. I'm loving that. That's that's a great buzz, and I can hear the whole band and the arrangement and exactly what um what the lads will be doing in that. Um but then there's one at the end and I'm like, yeah, kind of enjoying it, but it's like um, I've no idea where it's going to go or what it'll be like with a band or it doesn't sound it doesn't sound amazing as just an acoustic track, so uh, it might be nothing, but that could end up being a bridge a bridge for something else, you know.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So when you, you know, when you were working on the songs at home and you, you know, were then thinking okay, I I want to bring these to the studio. Do you play them with the live band first, kind of rehearse them, or do you go to the studio and track them? What way do you kind of do it?
1: It's been a, a change in process since I started doing the solo thing. The first, the Mary Robinson EP was largely solo, but with Rory coming in and putting down a bit of bass and a bit of guitar. And then with this album, it kind of started off it's nearly actually three years ago at this stage that I went in and did the song called the whole of Ireland and the Irish sea. And I put down electric and acoustic guitar and was kind of wondering what to do with it. Um, and then I felt I needed drums and I got on to Ricky O'Neill and he came in and put down drums. And then I did, I was doing that with Kenny Rafe and Sunstreet and, he was thinking there was a, a a pedal steel vibe off it, and I got on to Dave Clancy, and he came in. So this is all separate weekends, really. Like, and then Rory came in and put down some bass, and um, we kind of did that track there. And I was doing the same thing for Guerrilla Warfare on the album, and I'd recorded an acoustic version, and I wasn't enjoying enjoying playing it. And then I changed the chords and got other people in and then still didn't like it. And then I got um, onto Dylan and Evan and we jammed it out live. And, um, and we got a feel for it right away. So that was one that we jammed out and kind of the rest of them that I did in, with D- in Dylan's studio, like Tilly and the Postmaster and split the difference. We ended up jamming them out and figuring them out. Um so there's a couple of the tracks were built as we went along, and a couple of tracks were more kind of jammed out live like that. Um, and and the, there was a third studio involved as well. Like I was, I was out in Mixer Con, do you know Mixer, the Stables, yeah, Mixer, yeah, yeah, the Stables, and that was a different process again. And these were kind of so. Sterling and Kenny's actually went to Mixers and himself and Kira Finan have a band called New Beast. Yes, They're amazing that's right. and that's really right. creative, yeah. and great musicians to do with them and. Um, kind of the the last couple of songs on the album, the likes of "Swear to God" and "Music as a Religion" with the strings and stuff on it, and a lot more keys, um, were done there because key, Kira put down um keys and um lots of fiddle, um, but they were also I went in and put down acoustic guitar and we built on them, and they, I don't know they'd be kind they're kind of a bit more like scores and they're kind of they're, they're they're very creative those ones we were kind of there was. Um, We were seeing what happened with them and we were adding different parts as we went on. But at the very end, it became a bandy thing with the two boys jamming out the last few songs to put on it. So it was, yeah, it's, it's changed, you know. But that's good.
0: I mean, obviously having the different studios and, you know, different people working on them as well gives you a different feel and you can hear it. Like I was saying earlier, the first half of the album is different and the second half is different. But somebody else could listen and say, no, I see like it's it, there's, you know, three thirds there. I mean, it's there's different parts. But, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I think you have to be brave sometimes and say, no, I, I'd like to actually try this song in that studio because that person might put a different feel on this. And. And as well for you, going forward, it's given you that courage that the next time you do an album, you could say, I'll work with one producer, but you could also say, no, I want to try a few different people. I want to see what I can do with this.
1: Yeah, I was definitely searching and trying and um, wanted to work with different people and see um, what they made of the songs, I suppose, or what they... Could bring to it I, You know um, and I'm delighted I did that With the album But it was a very Natural and general thing That like I had always recorded With Kenny And I started off With the first couple of songs there And then Mixer I'd always meet around the place And um, I don't know Maybe say Let's do a track or something Let's try it out And went down And ended up Doing three there And then um, Got on to the two lads Very naturally To have a jam on a song And realized Dylan was in had a studio and he was very capable of producing and we ended up doing a couple of tracks there and um brought them all together you know very quite quite easily like really which is great
0: yeah and that's good because it naturally evolved you know and and now uh, Dylan plays with you on your when you're touring doesn't he as well
1: so the last couple of gigs yeah Dylan has played and on guitar and Evans on drums and Richie McDonough's on bass um and then Rory's been on keys we did a gig over in Birmingham recently like with Grey Crack and that was the band and then for a couple of the album gigs now Kira Finan played fiddle on the album loads and keys and stuff so she's coming in um so we're going to have a right a right big band for these um album launch shows and um do it right you know
0: well that's good I mean and and it's good and there's a lot of diversity between the musicians there you know they're they're all kind of connected in a lot of ways but they're different in their own ways so I think you'll have a really good band there and and a really good sound as well and as you play together more the band will get tighter and tighter
1: yeah and everyone's bringing their own thing like everyone is um it's different slightly different generations going on and people coming from different backgrounds and stuff which which I love like and um I love anyone bringing their own thing to a live set or suggesting anything at all, like that might, that they'd like to try on a song. Like I'm very, 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 very open to that. Like, and just making, I I don't feel like a live show has to sound like the album, you know, I feel like they could be two completely different things. Like the songs can can sound um, completely different. It could be different takes and vibes as long as, we're having fun and, you know, we're really feeling it and we're all grooving and we're reunited we're together up there. That's all that matters, because I think like a live gig is a, a snapshot like of that one night. And it's like, that's why I go to gigs as well, like, you know, to to see what they might do that particular night. I don't want a band come out and just do the album exactly like the album. Like, you know, you know, there's always the, the phrase of you could close your eyes and it sounded like the CD, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you don't want that either. You want differences.
1: No, I. Yeah, yeah. I want a couple of bum notes and I want a couple of flat notes and I want boys half falling over, you know. Yeah, you want to extend a song sometimes
0: or, you know, or even mix songs. And that's possible when you do it live. Uh, w- looking at the, you know, the, obviously the, the track listing for the album and everything, you know, what songs for you, have, have you songs that you kind of go, they're my favorites or does it change for you after, you know, after a, a while working on them?
1: I guess the ones I I enjoy playing live. I really enjoy playing Swear to God live. So I like the way it builds and I'm really comfortable just doing whatever take on it I I feel on the night. Um there's a nice crescendo to it and um Yeah, I don't know. I I enjoy them all really probably.
0: And more importantly, obviously, you know, when you put the tracks on the album, was there some that you left off that you kind of were thinking, I'd love to put them on? And but, you know, I think that's it. That's the 10 now or, you know, because that's a hard thing for people sometimes, you know, which songs to put on because they could have a lot more. And they're like, OK, we have just enough, which is great. But sometimes you have another four or five and you think they're gems as well. And do I wait for the second album or? You know that's hard.
1: At the time, they were they were definitely going to be the ten songs. But as the last couple of songs were being recorded, some new songs were coming to me. Like I was I was kind of, I was writing still, and new songs were coming. Um, but no, it would have taken too long. Cause it's it's a process. The songs were were pretty much finished, like in in the recording. And there was a couple of songs that I'd written. And you always think your your newest song is the best. And um, I thought, oh, maybe we'll we could slot that in, but. Um. yeah, no, I'm at peace at some point where it's like, no, they'll be, we'll leave them for the next one.
0: There's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. So,
1: you know, obviously the, the,
0: your track so far, you're getting good reviews and you're been on BBC Radio Scotland, BBC Radio Wales and playlisted in RT. So that's good. I mean, there's there before the album obviously even comes out, you're, you've got a good bit of traction on the singles.
1: Yeah. I kind of do the thing like of. You have an email database, you know, or you send out your, your single to everyone, like, and see is there any reaction. Um, and I was I send a lot to the UK this time, like, and I was getting way more reaction over there, like, for some reason. Like, there was a lot of, like, smaller radio stations that I just found addresses for online, you know. Unsolicited emails out to them. Everybody has to do it. <laughs> I always wonder how many they get, like, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, being, being, especially when it gets into <laughs> yeah, thousands,
0: yeah, you know, and stuff. And yeah. you're like, you're getting replies back saying, don't email <laughs> <mostly> us again. You <laughs> never
1: get replies, like, you don't, want, they don't even let you know they're playing. They, no, to, no, they no. tag you. But no. um, yeah, so there was a kind of a bit of a um, bit more of a buzz happening over there, you know, and I ended up then. Like the whole process, the end. I said, "All right, I'll do the last single, split the difference now, which is coming out with the um with the album on the same day tomorrow, I suppose, really." But so I I found a PR person, ladder just like a radio plugger style, mush in England, and was like, "Let's have a go with this and push this." And the funniest thing that happened with that, like a lot of little radio plays and stuff in England, but because of him, he also sends it to Ireland. And it ended up getting on the uh, the radio one playlist through him. Do you wow. know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah, it's going out and coming back in. Whereas uh, from from the inside, I wasn't getting on those <laughs> on that list at all. Like, which I found, which was interesting and funny. Like, you know.
0: Well, I think that's the thing nowadays with promotion because you know promotion is as much of part of the game as it ever was, and more so because of social media. And for a lot of artists, are like, Jesus, I have to figure this out, and how do I do this, and What the hell? You know, they're saying, oh, you need to be on Instagram. You need to be on TikTok. And you're like, geez, how does that work? And how do I do this? And, you know, you hear people saying, oh, you have to be posting seven times a day. And you're like, I don't have time for all of this stuff. So it's really difficult to do promotion. So but that was good. I mean, you got the radio plugger because he did his job for you and it it had a different turn. and, And you probably expected it first in England and then Ireland came about quicker.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. It's one of those things. It's like there's releasing music. It's like all these other things afterwards are, are 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 the most important thing. You know, you write the song and you get the album together and the artwork and you get an icy package. But if you're not getting it out to anyone or nobody's hearing it, it 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 dies a death. Like um and yeah, unfortunately, yeah. There's a there's an awful lot of work in the promotion, like and social media side of things and getting out to duggers and PR people and all that. Um, but it is what it is. That's just the industry. Like,
0: I, I've experienced that with music in the past. And I've experiencing it now even with the podcast because, you know, it's hard to turn people on to whatever you're doing uh, if they never hear you. And, and you know, the thing is, <laughs> I'd be always laughing. I said to my wife, oh, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm posting too much. But then you look at it, somebody else says, yeah, but you do realize like those posts are only maybe being seen once by somebody. You know, you kind of think I don't want to be flooding people with too much stuff. But the ho- the whole way it works, obviously, is you could put 10 posts up and you might only see one of them in the day. So it's really difficult to understand a lot of it. Sometimes the whole algorithm and how it works. But I mean, it's great now there are experts. But unfortunately, for a lot of those experts, they want to be paid much better than the artist is pay- is getting paid.
1: <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge expense on top of your recording, you know. But it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but necessary. It is, yeah, if there's any chance of you getting heard by someone that might get you a gig at some point, you know. It's another form of
0: investment, you know, because a lot of musicians and singers, you know, they, they love doing the album, making the album. And then, you know, maybe doing the artwork, as you said, all of those things. And then, you know, they're looking forward to playing live. But obviously, to get traction on the album and to get gigs, you have to do promotion and you have to invest, whether it be money and time. You need to invest both of those two things to get anywhere.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I know of a few, you know, great writers and musicians around the place that just aren't arse at the moment because of the the social media world. There's like... I can't do it. I'm not arsed, and it's like nobody's going to listen to you unless you're constantly promote yourself, or you know, you've the the right social, whatever um, pictures up there, or to I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, it's it's brilliant. I I think for plenty, you know, you're you've as I said, you've evolved, and you know, from the from the Koenigs and strange boats, and now this new you it's still the same you but it's a new version of you and it's um i think it's great because sometimes it can take a few years and and in five years you could be something different but i think what you're doing right now is great i mean the album is fantastic and and i think it will do well um of course you know it's going to be a lot of hard work for you but i think you can do it and i think the gigs are going to go down very well and you know your next gig is where it's is that the next one Wheelins, yeah, November twenty eighth. November, and then the and one. then
1: you've you've
0: you're playing in tune in December, aren't you?
1: Tum in the Mall on December eighteenth.
0: Wow, that's really good. Coming home. Coming home, still <laughs> only over the road, like <laughs> over the road. Yeah. I can walk to get here down. That's one of those gigs. If you forget something, you're like, "Let me just run back to the house for it," you know.
1: Yeah, or if you break a string, you know, halfway through a song, you can tell them to hold on they'll be back in a minute. You'll be saying to Rory, go down the bike there to the house. Yeah. On a scooter.
0: <laughs> on a scooter. Yeah, well that's the new thing now. Electric scooters, you'll be able to whiz down, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: So listen, Kamir, um, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I've really enjoyed the chat and it's great reminiscing about the you know all those memories in Tume. And, you know, I'm sure you're gonna have a lot more new memories to come from Tume and all the surrounding towns, countries, everything. So you're going to play a song for us to see us out, aren't you? Am I? I think you might.
1: Okay, all right. Oh, well, what 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 are you going to play for us? Um, so we might do the... The title track, Tilly and the
0: Postmaster. Well, I'll say goodbye to you, and I'll let you, I'll let you play it out. So, thanks very much, Dara D. Uh, the new album will be coming out on the 29th of October, and Dara will be touring in uh, Dublin and Wheelands, and he'll be playing in tune And I'm sure there'll be many more gigs. So, thank you very much, Dara. We've enjoyed having you on. Best of luck with everything. Thanks,
1: Simon. Appreciate it. Great to chat to you.
2: 14 kids 13 left and George we're with now somewhere Tilly and the postmaster a mother to us a mother to young a mother's work's never done. A mother you'll find will nurture and mind. My mother I never knew mine. To prairie starry stole my heart. A rebel and a king of sport. While well red and distinct, fond of a drink. He gave it up when I needed a most till the, end, the postmaster. See a sword through loving and through life. Treat all the same for all but a name that there's my only advice. Live my life through my kids and through them I'll never die. Strong enough now for long enough. Is that something in your eye? Not nah. to me, yeah, postmaster.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Dara. We really enjoyed that interview, and uh, it was great having you on and reminiscing about some memories from Tune and about some people we both know collectively. So I enjoyed that, and thank you very much for playing some music for us also. It was really interesting and very nice. And we wish you the best of luck with your new album. Um, it sounds great. It's a very natural, raw, honest album, and I uh, particularly like some of the tracks. Really nice and well done, very well put together. So thank you very much, and best of luck with everything. Okay, thank you everybody for listening to this week's episode of the Collective Whisper podcast. My name is Simon Kay, and I want you to look after yourself and look after everybody else. And please subscribe and follow us and keep giving us the love. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.